0: Welcome to another great message by Pastor Adrian Wright, lead pastor at Anchor Church. We pray this message will encourage, inspire, and transform your life. Our heart is to share the hope of Jesus with our city and nation. We love our church. We love what God is doing. We love this community. And uh, I love being able to encourage you in the Word. And we've been doing a series um, called Pictures of Jesus This is a series about how the entire Bible is about Jesus, how Jesus is the point of all life, how Jesus is the point of Scripture, how the Bible is not a book about heroes that we're supposed to try and emulate in our own strength. But the Bible is about one hero who came to die for sinners like us, and through him we become the righteousness of God, and we get to live like no one in the Old Testament was ever able to, simply because of what Jesus has done in our lives. That we have a new identity, and a new way of living, and a new way of seeing ourselves when we look into the mirror. We see something different than just the failures, and the mistakes, and the imperfections that we have. We see the perfect image of Christ, and the more we behold that, the more we see ourselves in that way, the more we go away and live a changed life. And so many people read the Bible, especially some of the arbitrary stories in the Old Testament that reveal a lot about the state of humanity, and we read it and we go, what on earth is happening here? Like, why did God cause that to happen? Why did God respond in that way? What is this revealing to us about us? And many people begin to have a a, a misinterpreted view of who God is, a lack of perspective on His nature and His heart, and we begin to misalign God's image because of stories we read in the Old Testament, and for many people, they read the New Testament, and they feel like the New Testament God and the Old Testament God are two different gods, because one, there was judgment, and the other one, there's grace, and, 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 and one seems to be a God of vengeance, and the other one seems to be a God of love, and how do we reconcile the Old Testament and New Testament pictures, and what does this mean for our lives? But the truth is, is that what God was doing through the Old Testament was revealing our need for Jesus. The law was like, was like somebody who came along and diagnosed the problem, but couldn't provide the solution. Who came and diagnosed the illness or the disease, but didn't have the cure? And in the New Testament, we see God sending us the cure, which is Jesus. And so, all of the Old Testament, every story in the Bible, every chapter in the Bible points to Jesus. It's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. It all points towards Him, every page whispers his name, and we've been looking at that, we've been looking at these pictures and seeing how, how all of these stories that we read in the Old Testament, the story uh, about uh, uh, Abraham and Isaac last week we looked at, and about the serpent that Moses raised in the wilderness, and about Jonah, and, and the great fish, and, and his proclamation to Nineveh, and the grace of God, all of it points towards Jesus, and we're continuing in that series this morning as the Bible encourages us. To not put our faith in ourselves, but to put our faith in Jesus. We're continuing with the, the story of Noah and the ark of grace. this morning is the ark of grace. Without Jesus, you cannot live like Jesus. It's only by faith in Jesus that we're transformed. And once you've got your new identity, you have to have a fractured sense of self in order to have faith in Jesus and live like you don't. And so the Bible says that, that anybody who sins is like a man who looks in a mirror and going away immediately forgets what he looks like. So sin for us as New Testament believers is like a form of spiritual amnesia. You've just forgotten who you are. And so our role as the church and as those that are here to equip you is not to point out your sin and tell you how, how horrible you are for sinning But to hold up the mirror and say, that's just not who you are. That's just not who you are. I do this with my own boys. They obviously pick up things from school, and the other day, one of them said a bad word, and I walked next to them and said, boy, we don't talk like that. That's not us. That's not our family. I was like, you're right, boys. Right, boys, don't talk like that. Dad tries not to talk like that. (laughs) Because we have a different identity. We are a different people. We don't wallow. We don't fall Uh, uh, to pray to these things that we experience in our society. We don't just go with culture. We're the church of Jesus Christ. We're children of God. We're saved. We're redeemed. We're righteous. And when you get that identity, you live differently. And that's what we have. We see that there was a great flood that came in the time of Noah. And I'm going to read that story for you in a moment. But how many of you know that we face floods as well in everyday life? How many of you know that that often the enemy comes in like a flood? The Bible says that when the enemy comes in like a flood, the Lord will raise a standard against him. Right? When the enemy comes in like a flood in our lives, we often experience that sense of flood. We often experience difficulty. We often experience hardship. and, And this shows us how we are not to look to ourselves in the midst of the flood, but we're to look to Jesus. I want to start off in Matthew 24. And verse 36, if you have your Bibles here this morning, you can turn with me to Matthew chapter 24 and verse 36, because I find it quite amazing that in almost all of these pictures of Jesus from the Old Testament that we've looked at, so many people have read the stories and go, what does that even mean? Why, why is that in the Bible? Only to find that in the New Testament, Jesus himself explained it. Jesus himself said this, that this is pointing towards me. He said it over and over again. And again here in Matthew 24, verse 36, it says, But of that day and hour, no one knows. He's talking about the coming of of the Son of Man. He's talking about His return, the second coming of Jesus. And He says, Of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but My Father only. And He says this in verse 37. He says, But as the days of Noah were, so also will will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in the days before the flood, They were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark, right up until that day that the flood came, and did not know until the flood came and took them all away, so also will be the coming of the Son of Man, or so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. So I'm going to talk about Noah and the ark, and we know the story of Noah and how God told him to build this ark and one of the amazing parts that, that you wouldn't know if, if you hadn't done more research into the scriptures is that it had never rained before Noah built the ark literally the Bible says that, that the entire earth was watered with mist that came up from the ground there was a, a moisture that, that came up from, from, from the earth that watered all of the plants and so rain was something no one had ever seen no one had ever witnessed. And God tells Noah, I want you to build an ark, a boat, when the only thing you've seen is mist, and now you're going to build a boat in the Middle East, okay? Like, you don't need a boat in the Middle East for the most part of anything, right? All you need is camels to get around. And in the midst of where he lives in the, one of the driest parts of the earth, he builds an ark. He's faithful to the call of God, and he believes in God's voice. Now what we see in the Old Testament, because a lot of people say that, that Noah was saved because, because of his works, because he did the right thing. And we'll get into this a little bit more as we go through these verses, but, but the thing is, is that Noah believed. He trusted in God's voice and did what God called him to do in spite of the circumstances. And Abraham did the same thing, and the Bible says that it is because of his faith. It's because he believed that his faith was credited to him as righteousness. And so when the Bible says that Noah was righteous and that, and that God uh, used him because of his righteousness, it's not because Noah did everything right. Later on in the story, we see Noah drunk in his tent. He got out of the ark and planted a vineyard. He was like, what should I do? Hey, free wine. Let's, let's do this, you know. And at one point, he completely loses it. He's drunk in his tent, and his sons had to cover him because he was naked and and just going wild, and they had to cover him up. It's not because Noah was perfect. It's because he believed. And faith was credited to him as righteousness. So this picture of Noah is actually one that that Jesus brings up. And the reason why Noah had to build this ark was because of God's judgment was because there was judgment for sin. Now, many times in church, when people talk about God judging, we immediately go, yeah, you see, that's what I knew what they were going to talk about. They were going to, I was going to come to church and they were going to talk about judgment and that's why I don't normally go to church. And we actually dislike God for His judgment. Why do we dislike God for His judgment? Because we know we're guilty. It's criminals who don't like a judge, right? Because you, when you know you're guilty, a judge is... Is the worst thing. But how many of you, if we said that there was a person, for example, that was caught red handed, all the evidence is there, he committed murder, he confesses to it. If a judge then sentences that person for their act, for their criminal act, how many of you would say, that's such a bad judge, I can't believe he judged that guy? You know, if if a criminal is tried in court and found guilty and sent to jail, how many of you are like, that is a horrible judge, I don't wanna know that person? No, all of us would look at him and go, that's a good man, that's a good woman, that's a good person, because they judged fairly. And so God is righteous, he is good, and therefore he judges sin in this way. God is a righteous judge. In Genesis verse 6 it says, then the Lord saw the wickedness of man. It was great in the earth, that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. The people of that day, only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth. God grieves in his heart in this moment for what has become of man as sin had entered in. So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth. Both man and beast, creeping thing and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made them. Obviously the people that were living in this time were were uh, committing atrocities in sin and and living in a way that was incredibly harmful. And it's easy for us to say, man, they were so bad. But the truth is that we're exactly the same. Because all of us have sinned. All of us have fallen short. All of us in our own uh, stories and in our own things that we have done would deserve judgment. All of us, the Bible says, have fallen short of His glory and judgment is supposed to be what we get if we are fair and if God is righteous even when we were kids I remember when I was younger my, my sister uh, lost a tooth um, and so you know if you grew up English there was a tooth fairy, how many of you grew up with a tooth fairy? But you know what sometimes Afrikaans culture is so much better because we didn't have a fairy, we had a mouse alright <laughs> how cool is that? And this mouse would come and fetch your dirty tooth and build his home with it, right? This mouse has a palace of like discarded dental work somewhere and lives com- comfortably inside of this palace of teeth. And, um, and so I remember the first time I lost a tooth, I was at my grand's house and I put the tooth in my shoe and at one point I went to the kitchen I came back and there was two rand in that shoe and I was like... This mouse is amazing. He was just waiting for me to go to the kitchen and drop the money off, and my tooth is gone, but I got the money. And so I like this, right? I like this whole vibe. And then my sister lost teeth, and I'd lost, like, most of my stuff. There was, like, no more money for me to have as a kid. And so I wrote a letter to the tooth mouse, not knowing it was my parents, and they never mentioned it, but I can only imagine what they must have thought. And the letter in my, like, grade one English was I helped my sister put this tooth into the shoe, so please can you give five rand for me and five rand for my sister, right? Sinners, sinners, a lot of us. And I was so disappointed when the, the, you know, the tooth mouse completely disregarded my request. One five rand, I'm like, he didn't even read the note, but the note's gone, so I know he took it. Can't believe he didn't honor that request. But all of us, All of us are born, and it's only through Christ and a process of sanctification that we get rid of this sense of greed and self and selfishness. We've all hurt people. We've all done things wrong. We've all intentionally disobeyed the voice of God, all of us. And so all of us are guilty before God. There's not one person in this room that's excluded from that. And so God as the creator, as the author of, of life, is also the perfect judge the perfect judge, not like referees today. I don't know if you watched any sport this last weekend, but there were so many dubious calls in super rugby, and, and, and it feels like across all the platforms of sport yesterday, people were complaining about referees as loudly as I've ever heard them yesterday online. And, 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 you know, we have earthly referees, and they are not perfect judges. They get the calls wrong. But you know that God never gets a call. He judges. Perfectly. His judgment is always perfect. He doesn't make any He knows all things. And because he is truthful, and because he is love, because he is righteous, he must judge faithfully. He must be a righteous judge. He cannot just dismiss things that are wrong. Otherwise, he would be wrong. Does that make sense today? I, I want us to get a, a mature view of what the judgment of God really is. And when you are the author of life, to take life away is not murder. If you gave life, you're the one who, to whom life belongs. God is the one who directs the nations. And so when we, as people who cannot create life, take life, it is absolutely wrong. But when God takes life as the author of life, He knows that there's also an afterlife, and His picture of life is bigger than ours. But this is why God looks at the wickedness of man, and it grieves him. It grieves him. Why? Because God wants more for us. I have met with so many parents. I was a youth pastor for 10 years, and I cannot tell you how many heartbroken parents I had sit in front of me going, I just don't know what to do. My son is on drugs. He won't listen to me. He won't come home. My daughter has moved in with her boyfriend, and and this is what she's doing, and she refuses to, to speak to us. And there's, bro- I, I can't tell you how many countless conversations I've had with heartbroken parents. Why? Because when we love our kids, we want what's best for them. We want to keep them away from the things we know is going to hurt them, the things we know is going to, to hinder them in life. And so God's heart, as the ultimate father, is broken and grieved by the wickedness of mankind. And so God judged the world at the time of Noah and will judge each person outside of Christ in the future as well. The the coming of of Jesus, and we're still in the middle of a series on Revelation that we're going to continue later on, but what we see is, is that there will be a time when those who refuse to receive the grace of God and who have said essentially that I don't want Jesus to pay for my sins, I want to face my own, that there will be a righteous judgment in times to come. We see that in Scripture. The Bible says that at the final judgment, sinners will be judged. And so just like in the time of Noah, we were all in a lot of trouble. Can you imagine if there was no salvation, if there was no grace, if there was no cross? Every single one of us would have to pay that price. Every single one of us would have to stand before God. But sadly, some people don't believe in God or His judgment or His grace. And so instead what they do is They appease their own consciences by mocking Him, by saying, there's no God. It's just a social construct to keep society in order. It's just just things that people have said to scare you, but there's no God. Throw off all restraint and just live any way you want. Our world has that worldview. And they go out, and they don't realize that in the midst of it, not only are they heaping up a debt that they need to pay in guilt, But at the same time, they're harming themselves. They're harming others. It hurts people around them. It breaks down our communities and our societies. And so when when God called Noah, he said, I want you to build an ark. I want to save you through this ark. And the others stood looking at him and mocked him. And the same way the Bible says in the end times, scoffers, mockers will come, and they will mock, and they will, and they will go on as if nothing's ever going to change. In fact, that's one of the things that it says that our world says in ignorance. In the book of Peter, it says that the world hears about the coming of Jesus and says, that's all nonsense. Everything has always just continued as it is now. There's never been judgment, so why would there be judgment in the future? And the book of Peter says, they say this in ignorance, forgetting that at one time God flooded the earth. It was a foreshadowing of the fact that there will be a judgment for sin, that there is judgment for sin, that there is accountability, that there is something that we have to answer for. And so they just carry on. They're eating and they're drinking and they're, they're, you know, marrying and giving in marriage and just having a great time. And then all of a sudden the judgment comes. That's why the Bible says that our message as the church is a vital and urgent message because God's heart is to save people from that judgment. That's why the church exists, to say, be reconciled to God and be saved from the judgment that is coming. Oh, there's no judgment, but in the moment it will come. In a moment it will come. The Bible describes the return of Jesus like a thief in the night like a thief in the night. Now my wife and I had an experience the other night, which is common to many South Africans, uh, Joe uh, Burgers. Once we were married, we we moved into a freestanding house. First time I haven't lived in a complex and I don't necessarily have a security guard at the front gate to phone. So it's all on me now, right? So I'm like, you know, if somebody comes into this house, I have to defend my family. And so I've been so much more aware of this whole security thing. And uh, the other night... Uh, we believe that somebody climbed into our roof. The roof tiles had been shifted and some of them were broken and uh, and got into our roof and walked through. It was actually on a Saturday night. So if you saw me about two, three weeks ago here on a Sunday morning, you're like, shame, Adrian looks tired. It's because Adrian didn't sleep the night before. He was defending himself against the thief in the night. And so... And so somebody came, and, and, um, and when they opened our trap door, which is right outside our, bedro- our bedroom, the alarm went off because there's an alarm on that trap door. And so I got up in an instant, and I looked at the thing, and it said ceiling door, and our door was closed. And I mean, I opened up ready for, you know, I was like, you know, give me the anointing of Samson right now. Jesus. like, let me tear some people apart here. Um, and fortunately, um, it seemed to have scared them off, and, and whoever was there left but you know, it's tough to sleep then the next night, right? And, and the Bible says, says something. It says that Jesus will return like a thief in the night, but he is returning for those that are looking out for him. And so for the next few nights, every night, I would, once all the lights are off, I would wait. I wouldn't go straight to bed. My family's asleep. I would wait. And I would walk through the house, and I'd look through the windows, and not being fearful or anxious, but being responsible. I'm going, I'm going to make sure that my home is safe. I'm looking out because I know the thief might be coming. And the Bible talks about the return of Jesus in the same way, right? If you know that somebody's coming, if a thief is coming, you don't just go to bed. You're not apathetic about it. You're watchful. You look out for your home. You make sure things are in order, right? This is how the coming of Jesus is spoken about. He speaks about the, the ten virgins and how, how five of them made sure that they had oil in their lamps so that they wouldn't run out of oil once the coming of the Son of Man happened. They would be able to meet Him there. We are prepared. We're ready. We're watchful. We're not apathetic about our lives. But how many people and how many of us and how many of, peop- of the people in our city have forgotten that there is an, even is a God? And the God, as it says in the scripture, their God is their belly. In other words, whatever they desire. You worship whatever your desire is. There's no thought about what does God want for my life? What is the best thing for me? What is the best thing for those that I love? What is the best thing for my spouse? What is the best thing for my kids? What is the best thing for my future or for my testimony or for my witness? All I want is what satisfies me. And so they're eating and drinking and going on like there never will be a judgment, like there never will be anything to answer for because they've forgotten that God exists and that he is real and that he is true. That's our world. But Jesus will come like a thief in the night. And those that are asleep won't be ready. And God wants to save us from that moment. This is his heart and this is why he says that the people mocked Noah. But all of a sudden that thief comes in the night. The next scripture, though, that we see here in Genesis 6, verse 8, I absolutely love, because I didn't see this in the beginning. In Genesis 6, verse 8, it says, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. He found grace. That's crazy to me. Noah found grace. Grace means undeserved, unmerited favor. He wasn't righteous because he worked for it. He wasn't righteous because he was good enough for it, not because he was religious enough. Grace is something that you cannot earn. It's either given freely or it's not given at all. If you work for something, it's not grace. It's a salary. It's a wage. But when you receive it as a gift, that's grace. And so why was Noah saved? He was saved because of grace. I always believed that it was because Noah was so good. But Noah was was human and imperfect like us. He was saved because of grace, because God had a purpose for his life. And so he goes and he builds an ark and he trusts in God to be saved. And that's what faith is. That's what our faith, faith and trust are synonyms in our belief in, in, in the scripture. He trusted in God's ability to save him from the impending judgment. And so he builds this ark that God calls him to build. He builds it against the odds, against what other people are saying. And when the floods come, the floods of judgment, he is carried above the waters. He's saved from the judgment. He's rescued from the judgment. And so the ark is a picture of Jesus and how everyone who trusts in Jesus is spared from judgment is spared from having to pay for their own sins. This is the great love of God, that even though He had to be the righteous judge because it's who He is, He also made a way for us to be saved from judgment, and it was by putting His own Son on the cross and judging Him on our behalf. And so every sin that you would ever need to pay for has already been paid for. Every debt that you owe has been canceled and cleared and wiped out. This is our message. It's grace. It's a free gift, and anybody can be a part of it simply through faith, simply by getting into the ark. Everyone that trusts in Jesus is spared from this judgment. Colossians 2 verse 14 says, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements, that was against us, which is contrary to us. And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Now, many of us know what debt feels like. How many of you have ever been in debt? Like you owe some money on your car, you know, you got a little crazy at Markham's, there was a sale, you opened up an account, you fell for the get 1,000 free, you're like, I can do that, I'll manage this well. You went for the overdraft or the credit card or whatever it is, and you felt the debt and then you were like, oh, life is good until you got the statement at the end of the month. And you realized you had way too much debt to pay off compared to what you were bringing in. And you felt the tension of that. I don't measure up. I don't have enough to pay for what I owe. That's kind of what this is like. Except the list of our debts just kept on running and running. It was was an amount we could never have afforded. Ever. How many good things we did. And the Bible says that Jesus took the handwriting of the requirement, which is like that debtor's ledger, and he nailed it to the cross. How many of you love that stamp that you get when you go to the dentist or when you go wherever that goes like, bam, and it says, paid, right? It feels so good, that big red stamp, paid. Here you go, medical aid, give me my money. Paid, you know? (laughs) That's what Jesus did. On every single mistake, imperfection, sin, sin, intentional wrongdoing since the day you were born and to the day that you die. It includes everything that you haven't even done yet because the Bible says Jesus was crucified before the foundation of the earth. He stamped, paid. It's done. And this was what the ark was representing, how we would be saved. It's the only way for us to be right with God. It's the only way for us to get into heaven. It's not good people that go into heaven. It's forgiven people. It's people that have trusted in Jesus. I love how this, is, this image is, is mirrored in the New Testament. There's a great storm, and those that are on the ship, all the disciples, and many of them were fishermen, so they know exactly when a storm is getting real and when their lives are in danger. And the people that were on the ship, these disciples, the ship is being flooded by waves, and they are at a, at a point where they realize we're going to die. But what is Jesus doing in the midst of that storm? He's fast asleep. He's sleeping through the storm. Why? Because he trusts in the grace of God. And they run to him and they say, we're going to perish. And Jesus says, are you of little faith? You see, when Jesus had that understanding that by his grace, when he is in your boat, we do not perish. We have everlasting life. When Peter got out of the boat, and there was, again, great waves and, and great things that were overcoming him. When he, when he looked at Jesus, what was he able to do? Walk on top of the water like the, the ark that floated over the water. So some of you may be going, you know what, I have trusted in Jesus, I have salvation, I, you know, I, I believe in him, but what about my everyday struggles? What about the storms that I face every day? When you keep your eyes on Jesus, by his grace, you walk on water. And it's only when we look to the storm and we forget about his goodness and his grace that we feel like we begin to sink. And even then he reaches out his hand to save us. But he is our ark. He is the, it's his grace that causes us to walk on water, that causes us to come out on top in every situation. Genesis 7 verse 23 says, Only Noah and those who were with him in the ark remained alive, which was his family. Only Noah. Noah. It's only through faith in Jesus that we are able to be saved and where we are saved and have hope in everyday life. When the waters eventually subside, Noah sends out this dove and the dove comes back with an olive leaf and, 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 and that has been an interna- become an international symbol for peace because after judgment there was peace between God and man. And after the judgment of Jesus, the Bible says that we have now received the peace of God. We are at peace with God, and we can have the peace of God in our lives because God has made this covenant with us. God makes a covenant with Noah, which is a covenant of grace. Before the law, before Abraham, He makes a covenant with Noah. And He says, I am a God who keeps His promises, And through you, the nations of the earth will be blessed. You will be fruitful and you will multiply. And God makes a covenant of grace with Noah, not because Noah deserved it, but because he put his faith in God. And we are in a covenant with God because of Jesus. And that means that God will be faithful to his covenant. You know, covenant is something that that, that God will never break. It's a promise. It's like it's, it's like marriage, but even deeper. God is faithful to the end. And if He has made a promise to your life and sealed it with a covenant, we can believe, we can trust that He will be faithful to the covenant that He made with us because of Christ. I want to finish off with Ephesians two, which really shows us all of this so beautifully. It says, "And you made, and He sorry, and you He made alive, who were dead." in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places In Christ Jesus. So not only saved, but but elevated to be a co-heir with Christ, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. In the times that are to come as the fulfillment of earth. If you are not in the ark, the times that are to come will be a time of judgment. But if you have put your faith in Jesus, the time which is to come simply reveals more of the riches. Of His grace. And here's the thing all of us get the opportunity to choose. We all get to choose. And that is why God is so passionate about His church, because this is the vehicle through whom the, the God speaks to the, to the world and says, Be reconciled to God. Our message is more important than what we can understand right now. But when we see the judgment of God, how many of us are going to turn around and go, I spent my whole life worrying about my own things instead of reaching out to people who don't know Jesus. We are passionate about making sure that as few people as possible will have to stand before God in judgment. Right? We're here to, like Reinhard Bonnke always said, we're here to, to, to plunder hell and populate heaven. We want to make sure that people understand that there is an option for them outside of judgment, which is grace and redemption and salvation. What could be more important than seeing people saved from that? This is the reality. And sometimes that reality is like, whoa. Some of you are like, I came to Anchor Church on the wrong day. Like, this is heavy stuff. But it's because we like to not think about it. We like to live in a world with no consequence, where there's no accountability. But God has more for your life. He wants to see us saved, redeemed, and fulfilling our purpose in Him. And that is why Jesus is the ark that saves us from that judgment. Amen? Everybody okay this morning? Thank God for his, the riches of his mercy. He wants all people everywhere to be saved. He commands all people, be saved, be reconciled to God. And that's our message. And we will spend every waking moment of the rest of our lives until the day that we move on into glory, sharing that message so that people can know there is grace for you. Um, I'm going to go ahead and, and pray for us, and then we're going to just look at our community groups for one moment. Father, we just want to thank you right now.